Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. And we're asking the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? Well, we're back. It's season three, episode one premiere. It's been like, seems like it's been like a year and a half since we've done this, but it's, it's been only a been, while. It's only been a couple of months. Um, and we intended to start season three a little bit earlier, but 2024 is, you know. Kicked our butts. Yeah, gone off with a bang. It's been a, a a wild few months. I don't know about you, but like my life is like exponentially busier. Like no night is a good night to do anything. <laughs> like like everyone's been sick, of course, on and off. Yeah, yeah. My wife's van blew a head gasket, and we had to buy a new van. Oh no! Like a lot of crazy stuff going on. So. I know I wasn't quite ready to come back when we said we would like beginning of February. I was like, I'm really not there yet. I know. I was like, yeah, but we're glad to be back. We were, we've been brainstorming about some like fun topics and, and we've got some, some guests and stuff that we've been talking to, to get lined up for this season. So hopefully it'll be exciting new stuff. One of my coworkers as part of something that he's doing for work asked everybody on our like team to do the 16 personalities test, which if you are not familiar with is basically like, it's like an abridged version of the Myers-Briggs personality inventory, which I was a clinical psych major. So I always find like psychometric testing very interesting in general. And I had taken the full Myers-Briggs like a long time ago. And so I was like, oh, this will be interesting to see if, if the short version is accurate and see how it is. So it's yeah. actually very, very accurate. It's one of the most psychometrically accurate personality tests out there. I took it and I landed on basically the same personality type that I was before. I think they might have changed some of the letters around, but the description was the same. And then they kind of assign your type, which mine was ENTP, which is extroverted, intuitive thinking and prospecting. And I think that's changed a little bit because I used to be an ENTJ and the J was for judging um, <laughs> and not as far as like being judgmental, but like looking at things in a, an analytical way. Oh, so okay. they, yeah. I think they modify that maybe because judging has kind of a negative connotation. It does, yeah. People didn't like it. The overall personality type of mine was the debater. And I was like, well, you're not wrong there, you know, because like I love to absolutely <laughs> I love to argue. Like spot on for you. It drives my wife insane because I want to argue about everything, including with the kids. And I don't want to let anyone win any argument ever. So so one of those personality types, I don't remember which one it is, but it has it's like, is there one that's like IFNTP or something? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That that might be the one. Oh, don't quote me on this. Is that the one that says they're you're more likely to be an atheist? When I read this description, I was I like, can't remember. This, this is me exactly. And I didn't take the test. I just read the description of that. Yeah. I know the I is like introverted. The a, the N is for like intuitive. And then the F is for feeling. And then the P is prospecting. So mm -mm, I don't know. But it gives you a really good breakdown of like what your strengths and weaknesses are, how this um, personality type manifests in romantic relationships, in friendships, in parenthood, in career path. Like it's a really cool breakdown. So I'll, I'll post the link or we'll post the link in the notes for anyone yeah, who cool. wants to get a little glimpse of your I'm personality. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I'll let you know next episode what I am. <laughs> yeah, I find that so fascinating in general because like, you know, when you come from like the religious world, like the explanation of everything is like, oh, well, God made you that way. And then, you know, everything is about like a spiritual gift or whatever. It's a way of like assigning some spiritual value to something that actually is explained by psychology and neuroscience, you know? Yeah. And I feel like from the, the religious perspective, you are defined as a child of God, or you're an evangelist, or the head of the home, or the, the faith leader of the family or whatever. And you kind of have those personalities 
ascribed to you by default. Right. But these kinds of tests are like, no, each one of us is unique in our own mm. ways. And there is nothing predefined or predetermined that defines you. Yeah. And I, th I think the closest thing in the Christian world that I experienced was like, you'd go to some seminars or something and they would have like a spiritual gifts inventory. Did you ever take one of those? No. I don't know if Lutherans really do that. because No, I didn't even know what spiritual gifts were until yeah. a few years ago. <laughs> We're going to try out a new uh, a new segment, and you came up with this idea. Why don't you introduce the idea okay. for this new segment that we're going to try to have each episode? It's called Data Nuggets, and this was like a placeholder name that I just threw out there. I was like, we don't have to call it this, and then it just <laughs> stuck, and now it's Data Nuggets. Yeah, Data Nuggets is hilarious. Like, it's is like it? chicken, nugget. yeah, like chicken, chicken nuggets. Nugget, chicken nuggets, but facts. You know, Except so. you call it Data Nuggets, right? Yeah, I like to... I, well, I interchangeably say data and data, and there's no explanation for why. I say yeah. it data or data. And I always hear you in my head when I say data. I'm going, <laughs> damn it, Susie calls it data. And I'm a data analyst, so I would know. Right. So I defer to your expertise on that. So, All right. So the goal is to talk about um, an interesting statistic. And I get these in my mailbox every Wednesday or something uh, oh, from nice. Pew Research. I signed up for their... <laughs> data nugget service like oh that's cool oh they have a like oh i didn't know they had that i'm on their mailing yeah. list but i don't think i signed up for the data nuggets. if they called it data nugget service i'm sure that you would have signed up for it dns but which is you know in <laughs> it is an actual thing but we're gonna call yes, it, it is data nugget service but that's fantastic the one that i picked for this week is obviously the one that's been circulating around social media which is that now 28 percent of americans consider themselves religiously unaffiliated so they'd be like religious nuns. Right. This does not mean that 28% of them are atheist or agnostic because this includes those who say their religion is nothing in particular. Yeah. Every time I in some forum, I'll be like, oh, I was raised completely non-religious. I'm like, damn, what was that like? I know. So, I can't even imagine that. I but know. That's what we're doing with our kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're saying it could be like a really important political group in general because white evangelicals notoriously have this really large political power and it seems to be you know rising with you know the christian nationalism and everything um but those numbers are shrinking which you would never know from a lot of the media you think like that the religious right is some big powerhouse yeah and it's a pretty substantial increase too 28 percent might not sound like a lot but in 2007 it was 16 percent that's a pretty good jump in not a huge amount of time you know so right so the reasons why the nuns are non-religious. 60% mm. say they question a lot of religious teachings. 32% say they don't believe in God or higher power. And then 67% is just like disbelief slash doubt mm. slash skepticism. This is not adding up to 100%. So I'm not sure how they're slicing this. Some say they don't see a need for religion in their life. Some just don't like religious organizations. Some had bad experiences with religious people. Some don't have time for religion. <laughs> Which is yeah. interesting because like if I believed in God or a higher power, if I yeah. really believed it, I would make time for it. It'd be right. like a priority for me. Yeah, exactly. So these people don't really believe it. Yeah. That's my inference. You know, one of the big arguments you hear for religion and faith is like you have to believe in something. If you don't believe in God, how can you be a good person? How can you live morally without religion? In the survey, they were asked what they actually believed. And a lot of people said that they rely on logic and reason when making mm -hmm. moral decisions, which I forget what guest it was that we had on, but they were saying, you know, like the basic 
premise of when you're making decisions like is this good for humanity as opposed to just relying on scripture or traditions or right exactly yeah so i thought that was pretty interesting i mean it goes along with some of the other studies that we have talked about you know about religion declining in general so yeah when you slice the religious nuns into the three sections of atheist agnostic and nothing in particular there Mm. is a quite a bit of difference in between the three So there's more women in the nothing in particular group and more men in the atheist and agnostic groups. Oh, interesting. There are more white people in the atheist atheist and agnostic group, but the nothing in particular group is more diverse. Yeah. Politically, the majorities of atheists and agnostics are ideologically liberal. And among those who say their religion is nothing in particular, they identify as moderate. Mm. So it's definitely a different group. Nothing in particular is different than the atheist and agnostics, even though they're lumped together. Yeah. I think there is a lot of value in separating them out because they do seem so different. If you guys come across like interesting factoids or statistics, feel free to send them our way, like on the Facebook page or something like that. And maybe we can talk about them during the episode. Mm-hmm. That was the inaugural run of Data Nuggets. Another segment that we're thinking about trying to launch, uh, we haven't quite crystallized this one. I kind of just, I've been thinking about this idea and I guess this is another IT reference. It is an IT reference. Yes. You know, in the IT world, which I work in IT, you know, we always kind of joke around with like Windows launching some new quote unquote feature and it turns out to be a bug. The, the idea behind this segment is it's not a bug. This is a feature. It's not a bug. It's a feature. The way we want to talk about is like in Christianity, there are certain things that Christians will say to try to explain away um, things that are like running rampant through Christianity. They say, oh, it's like, that's just people or, you know, it's not my church that does that. And a lot of these things are systemic to Christianity. These are part of the fabric of what Christianity is made up. They're not outliers. They're actually the norm. Yeah. And one of these came across my news feed uh, just yesterday, and it really like hits home to me that tells the story. And it's about a local pastor right here in my tiny little town that has like, I don't know, a couple thousand, but it's a local pastor of a church that just got arrested for sexual battery of a child and, you know, indecent, eliciting a minor and all kind of stuff. And you don't see articles about drag queens splashed across the newspaper every week where they're abusing kids. Never seen anything like that. No, it's pastors, it's youth ministers. And I thought the little caption under the picture of this disgusting individual, it says, Anyone who has kids who attended events at, and it names the church, is urged to have a conversation with their child. That's what the Green County Sheriff said. I'm like, really? Just just have a conversation with them? Like, how about you don't go to the church and how about you call it out? To me, this is not something that should be divisive. The reason I say that this is not a bug, but a feature is because the power structure in the church is perfectly, you know, suited to create a sexual predator. Absolutely. They're always talking about atheists and LGBTQ and liberals are grooming the kids, but the church is the one who's grooming kids. You know, they're grooming them to be silent, to not be able to call out their predators when they're being abused, to forgive the pastor when he says, sorry, this is a problem. It's a huge problem. And it's probably one of the grossest things 
about yeah. churches in general that anyone who says that they're a Christian, they should be chiming right in and saying, yes, this is disgusting. We can't have this in our churches, but they don't. They're, there's crickets. like, And every day there's an article like this coming out. And I don't think it's everyone who overlooks this. Like, I really think if theoretically my parents had been aware of a pastor abusing me, they would have tried to bring that church down. You think so? Yes. And my uncle's a pastor yeah. and there's no way he would have tolerated any of that. I, no, I mean, just, I really don't think so. Yeah. I mean, that's what I would like to think too. Like you would think that most people, if it was happening in their own church, they would, you know, for one, this is the thing. They're like, oh, I'm going to leave that church. Okay. But you're just going to go to another church where the system is exactly the same and you just don't know about it, you know? And I'm not saying again, that every church yeah. has this issue. As far as I know, churches that I went to didn't have this issue. But one of the churches that I went to as a kid, the pastor who started that church was having an affair with some woman in the church. But even then, they didn't make a big deal about it. Like they didn't c call him out from the pulpit mm -hmm. and say, you know, the pastor has been doing this and he needs to be fired. It all was backroom discussions. And then all of a sudden he was gone. And we're like, well, what happened? You know? And yeah, they're covering for the people in power. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wonder if people are attracted to this profession because they know that there's that protection and that cover. And if they are the type of person who, who gets enjoyment from controlling other people or having power over other people and abusing young children. And they, they know they'll have access to children. Right. And they know children might not be believed and they know that they'll be protected. Mm -hmm. It's a good profession for them. That's scary. Yeah, it really is. And like, I, you know, Janice, who was on our show last season, you know, was married oh, yeah. to someone who did this. And, you know, she said the same thing, like a person that goes into that type of field, knowing they have that kind of access. That's so disturbing on so many levels because the pastor and the leadership of a church in general is supposed to be safe. They're supposed to be protecting their flock. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not a bug in Christianity that there's sexual abuse. It's it's a staple. It's a feature. And it's a, a huge reason of why organized religion and churches just are not good for society and certainly not good for the people. So over the break, I had the chance to talk with Stacy Garan, who is known as apostasy throughout the deconstruction space. I love her name. Yeah, I know. It's awesome. I told her when I talked really to her. Name. So I got a chance to talk to her. Susie was unavailable the night that she was available. We were trying to back and forth with the scheduling and it was very difficult. Um, so we wanted to still share the interview with you and where I try to bumble through the interview talking to Stacy. Um, and it was a really fun conversation. So I think people will really resonate with her story. She's like very articulate. She's very passionate about the topic of deconversion and deconstruction and how freeing it has been for her to escape from religion. And one of the coolest things is that her and her mom deconstructed kind of at the same time. And now they have a podcast together called the Stacy's Mom Podcast, which for all of you children of the 80s know the song referencing Stacy's mom, which unfortunately- It's not an 80s song, is it? 80s, 90s? I feel like that came out in the 2000s. Okay. Unless it's on. a cover for an older song. Stacy's mom has got it has going on. Has got it going on. on. That's- a 2000 song who sings that song anyway is that i don't let's know. go to the googles real quick yeah let's see well while you're doing that go on. um the other cool thing about stacy is 
she randomly stumbled across her sister-in-law who she didn't know was an atheist because she <laughs> found her like channel or her youtube channel or her yeah. instagram account or something and she was like this atheist leader and she had yeah. no idea her own sister-in-law was an atheist and so she called up her sister-in-law and was like um i didn't know you were an atheist and <laughs> the sister the sister-in-law was like i never in a million years would have thought that you would ever deconvert from christianity right right that is crazy. Okay, for the record, that song is from 2003. You're right. Yeah. Fountains of Wayne. But of course, because of copyright and, you know, she can't use the song in her podcast. And, right. you know, we can maybe sing along to it at some point. <laughs> but yeah, we want you guys to uh, enjoy the interview. And then when the interview is over, we'll come back and just give some closing thoughts. So enjoy the interview with Stacey Gron Apostasy. We're really excited today to have Stacy Gron with us. And if you are in the deconstruction space at all, you probably have heard of her because she is known as apostasy, which I really love. It's like the first time I ever saw that. I was like, oh, that's super clever. I love it. <laughs> like, So Aww. welcome, Stacy. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's funny because I saw like the little promo for when you were on with Seth Andrews on the Thinking Atheist, which is a tough act to follow. So um, oh. <laughs> Why don't you like start with telling us a little bit about just your general background, like growing up and your faith background and, you know, what that was like. And then we'll, we'll get into the deconstruction and all that fun stuff. Sure. So I grew up in a charismatic Christian home. I don't ever remember not being a Christian because I was told by my mom and my grandma that I answered an altar call at like two years old. So I was always in church. So I don't ever remember the moment of giving my life to Jesus. I was just always um, loving Jesus and following him from a very young age, I believed, because that was just how I was raised. Right. Um, But then obviously I made the conscious decision as a teenager. Um, It wasn't just like, okay, this is what I'll do because I'm being told to do it. I I really did love following God right. um, and I was genuinely in it for my own reasons. Okay. Yeah. And that's a little bit different. I, my story is very similar. Like I was born into Christianity kind of on some level. My parents were both like kind of new Christians themselves. And then um, I always like to joke with my parents because I was born in November of the year that I was born. They became Christians in August, you know, the August before. And you okay. can tell that's not a lot of months oh, no. you know, in between when not I was all. born. So, you know, I always like to joke and say, you guys are pounding the purity culture on me, but you didn't follow your own advice. You know, no so, kidding. so I oh always think gosh. that's kind of funny. But yeah, that's <laughs> similar to me where I like I I do actually remember like praying the sinner's prayer at like age four. Okay. Um, and then, you know, I feel like I don't wonder if yours is similar. Did you have like multiple kind of like rededication experiences growing Absolutely. up? Absolutely. And where you're yeah. like, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I better do mm-hmm. this again. Or I'm not on fire as I should be. Like, yes. th- was that part of your experience? Yeah. Um, so I do remember at 10 years old, I decided I needed to get baptized. And I, I really felt that like burning in my, in my chest. Um, right. <laughs> I, I, I really felt convicted, like, okay, I, I need to make this decision to follow the Lord. And I, and I meant it. And I know at the church we were attending, um, they required that we went to a couple of classes after the Sunday morning services, and then we had to write up our testimony. So, um, 
at 10 years old, I don't really know what kind of testimony I right. had. I think I put down that I had lied to my mom a couple of <laughs> times and I felt really guilty and I asked for forgiveness. Um, so that was basically my testimony and I had to right. read it in front of the church. Yeah. Um, and so I got baptized, but then um, we didn't go to church for a while and I felt really guilty about that as a preteen. Mm -hmm. And I remember one moment when I was about 13 or 14, um, sitting on the bed with my mom, we were just watching TV and I got this like really heavy conviction. Um, like right. if we were to die right now, <laughs> would we go to heaven or would we go to hell? And I just was like, we need to get into church. We need to find a church. We need to go there because maybe we're not saved. Are we backslidden? Like I was just <laughs> so terrified. Yeah. And so we ended up finding a church um, not too much longer after that. And I was 14 and I rededicated my life. And I remember going to a church picnic and they were doing baptisms. And so I thought, okay, I'm, I'm making this decision. I'm older now. I, I know what it means to follow Christ. So I, I got baptized again because I just right. thought at 10, what did I know? Like, <laughs> right. I'm so much smarter now at 14. Like, yeah. Yeah. So from then, I, I basically continued um, following the Lord. And it was at that church where purity culture was becoming very prevalent. That was in, I believe, 1998. And okay. um, Joshua Harris's book had come out, um, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And so that was like required reading by our yeah. youth group and right. <laughs> <laughs> signing yeah. those pledges about uh -huh. staying a virgin till you're married. And so that church also um, they asked me, do you listen to secular music? And I had never even heard the term secular before. Oh, and I was like, fantastic. what is that? And I was right. there like, I'm like, well, yeah, I love Spice Girls and uh. Backstreet Boys. <laughs> and so they were really into like burning your CDs and stuff. Oh, right. and, and so it was like the cool thing to do. And I, I wanted to like show how committed I was. So I got rid of all my secular music. And, right. Yeah. And that was where I heard the term being on fire for the Lord. And I was like, well, yeah, I, I'm on fire for God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm curious. Cause like you're, you live in Canada yes. and I'm in the U S so charismatic here and charismatic there. I'm curious, like, what are the, I mean, you might not know what charismatic here is, but what is charismatic there? Like, uh, like what kind of church that is? And the, I'm curious how it compares yeah. to what charismatic is so here. So at that church that I am I was heavily involved with in my youth um, that I consider charismatic. So that church was actually, it had broken off from another church. And the church that it had broken off from was actually Henry Hinn's church. And okay. you might recognize that last name. He's brothers with Benny Hinn. Okay. Yeah. So it was in Vancouver. And um, so it was very much what you would see at a okay. at a Benny Hinn service. So it was okay. um, speaking in tongues, the laying on of hands, people were falling out in this, you know, falling yeah. out in the spirit, uh, yeah. prophesying, claims of healing, miracles, um, casting out of demons. The evening services were the ones where all these things would happen. The right, Sunday right. morning services were a lot more um, subdued and mm -hmm. calm. But right. if you wanted to really see the, the, the move of the spirit, it was go on like a Wednesday night service or if they right. had a speaker, 
it was the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights when they would come every single night and you would go and it would just, it would sometimes go to like 11 or 12 at oh, night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and <laughs> um, now I describe it as very almost hysterical. Yeah. A lot um, of emotional manipulation yes, and all the stuff that you much. recognize now as like, oh, none of that was the spirit. It was just my emotions running rampant. Like, yeah. yeah. And um, at that time, I didn't really know about it because I was 14 or so, but I've, since I've come out of it, I've done a lot of um, kind of research in that whole movement. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar or if any of your listeners are familiar, but there's a podcast that came out called Heaven Bent. Okay. And um, she is actually from Vancouver, where I grew up. And she grew up in that same movement. And she does a really good deep dive in her season one on the Toronto Blessing oh, Church. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So. Okay. I listened to that when I was still a Christian, and it was fascinating to me because a lot of what our church did and and, and how church was for us, it kind of came from the Toronto blessing. Right. And I, as I was listening to that, I was remembering kind of hear, like mutterings of that at that time. So it mm -hmm. brought back a lot of memories, and it was very much like if you listen to that podcast, um, it was identical to what the, ha was happening at that church. And okay. people were talking about how that sort of was like a revival that happened across North America. Yeah, there was like a big spawning of like that whole thing that spread like a wildfire yeah. amongst a lot of churches. And the charismatic movement got a lot of, got a big push from that, even in the US, like because oh, definitely. You know, it's not people like Toronto's were, that far. No, like. <laughs> because I believe even people like um, Bill Johnson and Chris Vallotton from Bethel in Redding, California, they even went to the Toronto Blessing mm. to get what get whatever that was to bring yeah, it back. Yeah, give me some of the juice so I can bring yes, it back. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it wasn't just like contained in that one church building. People were coming from all over to hopefully bring it back to their church. Right. And there's nothing supernatural about it. It was just, I feel kind of learned behavior of what, Right. It's like a yeah. conditioned response when you start learning about like how neuropsychology works. You're like, oh yeah, that all yes. makes perfect sense. Like, <laughs> Yes. Neuropsychology and neurotheology, if you look yeah. up that as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a very interesting uh, growing. I grew up like fundamental, independent, fundamental Baptist. Okay. So like charismatic was like in my world, like charismatics were like heathens, you know, like my parents, oh. you know, my parents would be like, there was a huge charismatic church around the corner from like where my grandparents lived. And we used to go over there Sundays after church and we'd have to get through the traffic at this church. Right. <laughs> and my parents used to just be livid about like, they had like, you know, 20,000 people going to the oh church. Gosh. And we had come from our teeny little Baptist church that had like 150 people. My dad would just be like, oh, look at all these goats, you know, like, right. you know, like <laughs> they're just following blindly off the cliff. They don't have the real truth, you know, and it's, yep. it's so funny to look back at now because like, it's all the same bullshit. It's just like a different yeah. flavor. Like, exactly. I was being told churches like yours didn't have the spirit and right. you were, you were dry and and dead. dead inside. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. Like now when you look at it objectively, you see all these different denominations, all these different flavors, and every one of them thinks they have it right. Mm -hmm. And oddly enough, they all think every other version is completely wrong. Not even yeah. like, okay, well, they're Christians or whatever. Like some of them are like, no, those versions are completely wrong. They're going to hell. Those and people heretical. You know? <laughs> yeah, and heretical. It's like so it's so interesting. And then you look at yeah. it now and you're like, well, how could yours be the right one? Just because you landed in it as a kid. Like, right. I remember early in my deconstruction phase before I even knew what it was, I came across Rachel Held Evans 
Oh, in her first book, she talked about like, I started to question my faith because I was born in middle America. So that's what I was taught. Like if I would have been born Mm -hmm. Iraq, I would have become a Muslim because that's what I was taught. You know, you start to see all these reasons to believe are not really reasons to believe. They're just where you landed. And exactly. Would you say like once you got to the on fire stage, were you like, super in like were you active doing stuff in the church and the youth group what kind of stuff did you do as a as a sold out believer (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i definitely i was involved um that that church kind of there was some legal issues that ended up happening and that church kind of dissolved um yeah (laughs) that happens a lot too it does it It really does like (laughs) so after um, when I was about 15 or 16 and that church kind of sort of collapsed, um, we we didn't go for a while, but I was still very much dedicated to God. Um, that never changed. Um, but then when I became um, an adult, so about 20, I had my own vehicle. I could get around and I was like, I'm going to find a church and I'm going to go and I'm going to be faithful and go attend every week. And so I did. I found a church in downtown Vancouver that I I attended. It was a huge church, like it was a mega church, so it was mm-hmm. kind of hard. Right. But um, I just would go every Sunday morning by myself. And when I got married to my husband, we would attend, and we ended up going to like a weekly home group because I was like, we should get to know other people who are yeah, yeah. our age and stuff. And um, we ended up making a couple of close friends and. And then as our marriage, like we've been married for 18 years this year, and um, we kind of hopped around to a few different churches. And once we had kids, um, we got kind of settled in one church. And that's when I really got more planted, if you will. Right. Yeah. yeah. In a in a Pentecostal church, um, I got involved with the women's ministry and um, I went on a missions trip. This was in 2016. Okay. I got whatever classes they had. I was like, I'll sign up for that. I'll sign up for that. I'll go to that. There's <laughs> right, right. mom's groups. There's. I was just like, whatever I can do, I want to be involved in. So, so you're like fully, fully in. It wasn't like you know, yeah. surf, surfacey thing. And so, no. like, did you and your husband meet at church? No. Is that okay? I'm just curious. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a fair question. In the Christian <laughs> sects or the the world, the only place that you could possibly meet a spouse is in church. It's church. That's where you're gonna find someone so you can be not unequally yoked. Mm -hmm. So here's a funny thing. As as dedicated as I was, I did not want to marry a Christian. Like not a I wanted to marry a Christian. Right. But I didn't want to find him at church because I found all of the guys at church were very like they just wanted to find a wife. Like the second Mm -hmm. I would go to a new church, all the guys were just like I knew they were looking at me like, is this my wife? Is this who God has for me? Yes. (laughs) And it creeped me out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. I know exactly what you're talking about because I would have been one of those guys. <laughs> like when you're when you grow up in that, I went to Christian school, Christian mm-hmm. college, the whole thing. And the whole thing, the whole time they're like setting you up as a guy like, well, you got to find a godly wife. And the yes. joke at the school that I went to was like, you know, the women were there to get their MRS degree, you know. And But yeah, I know exactly <laughs> what you're saying. It's like yeah. you go into a church, you're a female, and all of a sudden the radar goes off. Especially as a brand new Right. female in a church you walk yeah. in and it's like boing all eyes and it's 
I was it's just like, like, oh my God, this is so weird. God yeah. told me that you're the one, you know? And see, that's what I was afraid of too. Yeah. Cause I really believed in like God speaking to someone. And I was terrified. What if God tells someone that I'm their wife and I just don't feel that way. Right. So I was, I was actually really nervous about that. Yeah. Um. So I was like, I don't know if I necessarily, unless the person's just absolutely amazing and we have this great connection and I right. feel it too. I was like, I don't know if I want to find a husband at church. Yeah. So my husband and I did not meet at church. Um. Uh, Probably a lifesaver, you know, which is, <laughs> it's one of those things that's like, well, I'm glad it worked out that way. Yeah. Considering where you are now. Yeah, we met somewhere like completely random. But but he was Christian as well, but not was, like creepy Christian, you know, he, gunning for a wife in Sunday school. Well, so when we met, we went on our, our first date. Um, I, I was up front from the beginning, like I'm I'm Christian. And um I was like, Do you believe in in God? Do you believe in Jesus? And he he said, Yeah, like I was raised going to church and stuff, but he was not like me. Like, I'll put right. it that way. He was yeah. not like me. He was yeah. more of like a cultural, like, yeah, like I, we go to church. We went to church on occasion and stuff. And right. um, he's like, yeah, like I, I believe in Jesus. Like, I believe he was a historical person. And you're like, that's good um, enough. <laughs> I kind of was. I was like, okay, like I can work with that. Like, that's, that's yeah. good. As long as, because I had gone on a date a couple months before with someone who was an atheist. Okay. okay. And oh my that, God. Like, I know. The worst. <laughs> I know. And that How was just you? like, I don't know. Like, that's just too much for me. It's too much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the irony now is just like, trust me, it's not lost. That's hilarious. Um, yeah. I know. And so um, the fact that he just at least believed in Jesus was perfect. I was right. like, hey, like, at least we have some like similar beliefs. And something in common. Great. And then, yeah. Something yeah. in common. Yeah. Um, And I was like, would you be open to going to church with me? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so, and he was, and he, he, he was great. And so, like I said, like this July, we'll be together 20 years. We've been married 18. Yeah. So he's been with me like through all these ups these and downs and, and stuff. through the changes. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Um, so how he would describe it now is he really, he tried to believe. He's a very logical, mm. reasonable, realistic person. And right. but he was, he was hoping at some point something would click and he would be like, aha, yeah, this is the truth. Right. This is like, I believe in this, but right. it just, it didn't jive, but yeah. he really gave it an honest effort. He yeah. attended church like every week with me, he read the Bible. We had our kids dedicated. We right. became members um, at a church and he was just like, it just doesn't make sense, but yeah. I love her so much. I'll just, right. I'm going to go. I don't want to ruin our marriage over, right. over this. So yeah, I mean, that's very similar to Su Susie's story is very similar. She was like a very logical, precocious kid. And she says like, I really wanted to believe, but I just had so many questions, you know, which yeah. is the exact opposite of my story. I didn't have any questions. I was just like, you know, like a lemming, you know? So it's like, yeah, that's kind of how I was. I always find it fascinating that people come from that background of where I kind of always question and then people like you or or me that like we never questioned per se. And then it's funny because we all kind of ended up in the same place. And then right? it's funny because, you know, in Christian world, it's always like there's one way. It just like they said in the Bible, you know, there's one way that went to Jesus and there's a whole bunch of ways that you get away from them, you know, like the, yes. the wide way. <laughs> that's what we all took the wide way. I know. And of course, they're going to say it leads to destruction, but clearly we are demonstrating that it doesn't, you know, it's no. So you're an adult, you're married, 
you've mm-hmm. got kids. What were some of the factors that started to like nibble at you that were like, well, maybe some of this doesn't make sense. We had an ex-Mormon on uh, in one of our seasons and they have a term that they called, um, you know, things that they put on the shelf. Right. Oh, I have a question about this, about Mormonism, and no one has an explanation for it. And then my leadership told me, well, just put it on the shelf. And I've then, heard that term you know, Mormons, Mormons will say, eventually my shelf broke and I couldn't, there mm-hmm. was no, it couldn't stand. So what were some of the items for you that like started to nag at you? In 2019, I came across a documentary. So my story goes, I, I get a little deeper into Christianity, but I know this is when my deconstruction began, but I came across a documentary called American Gospel, and um, it basically was, it was, it's a Christian documentary. I'm not saying like everyone needs to go out and watch it, but um, okay. it's a Christian documentary that uh, kind of exposes the charismatic theology and the whole just charismania aspect mm-hmm. of what I grew up in. So all the all the little things that I did kind of have questions about, like, okay, speaking in tongues, like, are we actually saying anything? Is this gibberish? What is this? Um, <laughs> right. They they don't necessarily use the word debunk, but to me it was like debunking it. They were saying like those things were just for the apostles. Those were just for back in those times, and okay. so th- it wasn't. Re- it's not relevant for now, and so or like prophecy and healings and stuff. That was all just for the biblical days. So right. a lot of stuff that I was thinking like this just feels bizarre and not something that happens now but we're I like I'm supposed to believe this um (laughs) I started like deconstructing those things and I realized that all these questions that I had had that I had sort of just pushed away I was getting answers for even though they were like still kind of leading me in the direction of like Christianity Mm -hmm. um I I was getting some answers and I was like okay so I should still try I I can trust my my instincts thinking this is not really relevant right Right. now or anymore, right? So that documentary was a very heavily influenced by Reformed theology, unfortunately. So it did kind of like push me into Reformed theology for a couple of years, but I did make the decision at that point to like trust my gut. And if I had questions about anything, I was going to just allow myself to continue asking those questions. So even though I got into reform theology for a while, um, that was the start of my deconstruction because I ended up deconstructing things as a reformed Christian, mm-hmm. like the rapture. I stopped believing in that eschatology. I was like, mm. I don't think this is real. Like right. that doesn't make any sense, even yeah. though that's what I had been taught for my whole life. So I did start kind of picking away at things that I was like, this just seems ridiculous. That mm-hmm. just doesn't make any sense. So so by the time 2021 rolled around, I was really starting to dig at a lot of questions that I had. And it was in that year that I was like, I don't think any of this is real. <laughs> I think this is all just myth or yeah. just like, I just, I don't think it's real at all. And I finally just had the courage to toss it all away. Mm -hmm. I actually have a friend who she went from charismatic Christian. We met after watching American Gospel on Instagram. We met on Instagram. She went to Reformed Theology. That's such an interesting progression too. I know. And then um, a couple years after that, like we had lost touch for a while, we reconnected and she is also completely out. It's like, there's a few, like I've come across quite a few people who have gone from um, charismatic or Pentecostal or whatever 
too reformed and then it's just like and then now they're completely like they're atheist or yeah. they're just agnostic but they just keep chipping away at like wait 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 <laughs> yeah actually none of this <laughs> well i think reform theology does kind of lend itself to that because like some of it like just doesn't sit well with you as a human like no because reform reform theology is so abrasive it's yeah. so rigid it's so like black and white and like if you're uh, if you're already questioning and you get in there like wait it can't be this black and white yeah. my progression was the opposite like i started okay. super rigid and then <laughs> i went what like i was like progressive prog more and more progressive you know and the last church i was in was like a a, a methodist um fellowship but that it was very liberal for methodists like oh, okay. we had a female pastor and we you know had gay people in the church and we were very accepting and i was like okay this is how church should be and then i went from that and then i was like okay well i don't think i'm just they gave yeah. me the permission to ask all the questions and then I started asking the questions and then I was like, okay, well, this doesn't right. make any sense. And, you know, like January 6th was like my last straw. Like when that happened okay. here, I was like, I was like, no way. There's like, I can't believe this shit. Like, yeah, <laughs> even though I'm Canadian, that was something that was very pivotal for me as well. Just seeing how it was like a ton of Christians Christian nationalists yeah. and, and people who just were supportive of that whole ideology, I was just like, wait, I don't even, I don't want to associate myself with anyone who believes the same God. Yeah. And that was part of my process too. Cause like my parents are still like super Christian and they were all like raving Republicans. And yeah. to me, I was like still Christian, but I was like, I don't understand how you could follow this ideology. And then, yeah. you know, say that you believe in, it's just not the same God. Like what, what are we talking about? So then, yeah. then you start to realize, oh, well that's cause the God's made up. Right. <laughs> You can just yeah. make your God in your image and then you can believe whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, exactly. What would you say are some of like the differences between like Canadian Christianity uh -huh. and American, you know, Christianity? Because there is like a real difference. I, I kind of found that out after the fact, you know, when I was out, I started like learning more about evolution and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. And I found out like in other parts of the world, there's Christians who believe in evolution and really in the US is really a the main hub of where Christian equals young earth creationist, but like almost the rest of the world doesn't believe that at all. And I was like, oh, well, what else do Christians elsewhere believe? Like, well, all the churches that I attend, like I was a young earth creationist. So I was surrounded by that. I, I believe the earth was 6,000 years old. I've only recently been learning more about evolution and it makes obviously way more sense the cognitive yeah. dissonance that you have to go through your just to get through life as a christian is exhausting yeah it really is and because yeah. you also never heard of the term cognitive dissonance when you were no. a christian i no. never heard that term in my life the first time somebody said it to me i was like oh shit that's exactly what it is. Yes. Like you're perseverating your brain. Uh-huh. The very first time I heard that term was only a few years ago. And I was like, oh, what does that mean? I looked it up and I was like, oh my God, this is how I've been living my whole life. My whole life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's and, crazy. And I and I heard it in the context of regarding like COVID and, and like conspiracy theories. But then mm -hmm. I thought about it in the way of like Christian, I was like, wait, how could this apply to my religious beliefs? And mm -hmm. then I thought about it in that way. And I was like, oh, this oh. applies to my religious beliefs big time. Yeah, yeah. And that was crazy. like during my, right on like the, the very, very end of my, my deconstruction. And I was like, that's when like these major like epiphanies were going off like daily. 
Yeah. It was exciting at the same time because right. I was just like becoming this new informed person. And I was like, I wasn't going through deconstruction scared. I was going through it excited. Like, what am I going to learn today? Right, and how right. is this going to change me? Yeah, and that's cool. Yeah, it was so exciting. And I was kind of keeping it to myself for a little while. The only person I was really opening up to ever so slightly was my husband because I felt like he, yeah. he wasn't trying to, he wasn't going to push me one way or the other. But I was like, I think he'll understand like what I'm kind of saying. And yeah. Yeah. So, but so was there like a last straw where you were like, well, that's it. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there like there was, <laughs> there was, um, the, the last straw to me or for me was, I, I, I don't remember like where I came across it, but I came across finding out that the flood myth in Genesis is around in other mm. mythologies that predate the Bible. Right. And as soon as I found that out, it was like a house of cards just fell. And I was like, hey, hold up. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, wait. So if this isn't other mythologies or other cultures that are older than these cultures. By a lot. By a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, so then that means it's not real. And if there's one lie in the Bible, then the entire thing right. is a lie. Yeah. If there's even one lie in this thing. Yeah, because you were probably like a you were like a biblical literalist, right? You uh -huh. believed all of it was inspired, even yeah. the stuff that didn't make sense. You're like, well, there's some explanation for it. I just don't know what it is. Exactly. So yeah. And I thought God doesn't lie. So if if God is allowing this in his book, I, I can't trust it at all. Yeah. And I just from there I just kept digging and finding out more. And I was I just was like, I'm I'm in. I'm all into finding out everything I can. I don't believe this. And now I'm excited to just continue finding out everything that I've been told. Right. And then I thought God not being real makes so much more sense. It really does. To like, my life. Right. Yeah. Because like, <laughs> if like God is in control of everything, but everything is fucked up, there's your cognitive dissonance. But once you yeah. like take God out of the picture, then you can say, okay, well, everything fucked up makes perfect sense. Yes. So you're like, you are fairly pr like recent to being like all the way out, like just over two years of being yeah. all the way out. Yeah. Actually, when we started doing this podcast, I was trying to write down a timeline of like when, you know, I've been like questioning for it seemed like for so long. Yeah. Then when you're out, then you like find this hard time. Like, well, when did I really get out? Like, but then when you keep finding all these new things out, then that like journey just keeps going because you're like learning more and more stuff. Like I <gasps> when I discovered Bart Ehrman. Oh, I was uh, just thinking of him. What, he like, was so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and mm -hmm. I was like, oh, like I, I never heard like literally none of the stuff that is no. are in his books I had ever learned. And the thing that really killed me about, I forget which book it was of his, because I've read a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. You know, he was saying every pastor that has gone to a real seminary, not an evangelical seminary, but has gone to a real seminary knows this stuff and they don't tell their freaking churches you know yeah. about the about the errors and the scribal errors and the inconsistencies and yeah i actually i i mean i ended up checking out a ton of books from the library early on in my deconversion and i checked out the book misquoting jesus and i handed it to my husband i was like here i think you might like this book <laughs> and he read it and he's like 
this is what I have been looking for. <laughs> That's like, exactly how I felt. All these years. He's yeah. like, this is what pastors need to be preaching about. Yeah. And he's like, this answers all the questions I've ever had. He's like, if pastors were preaching this, I'm like, yeah, but they're not gonna. They're not gonna because people are yeah. gonna be. Well, and I always found it interesting. <laughs> like for me, those things were extremely damning and reinforce, okay, I made the right decision to not believe mm -hmm. in God and the Bible and all that stuff. But like for Bart Ehrman, he even says like, that's not the reason I walked away from Christianity. So I, yeah, some people probably could hear that stuff and they probably would still stay in. Yeah, There's a Facebook group called Answers to Answers in Genesis. It's like um, there's people, they're basically Christians, but they believe in old earth and they believe in evolution oh, and they okay. kind of just debunk a lot of the young earth creationist stuff. Um, but I find it fascinating in there because those people all still believe the Bible for a lot of other stuff, but they're like, well, the Bible's, you know, it's not literal when it talks about creation. And I'm like, to me, that doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't understand yeah. how you could like pull out big bricks of the wall and mm -hmm. then just be okay with like having no foundation, but just hanging out in the building. Yeah. So when you decided that you were out, mm -hmm. um, this usually tends to have a, a pretty big impact on people's like family life, but you are doing a podcast about your deconversion <laughs> with your mom and you say that you, yeah. that you deconverted and deconstructed at the same time. So quick plug for mm -hmm. the podcast, the Stacey's mom podcast, which is everybody knows the song, <laughs> but yeah, I was watching some episodes of it recently and I'm like, what was it like to deconvert with a parent because like both Susie and I, our parents are still super Christian and in and they just pretend that our deconstruction didn't happen. <laughs> How awesome and refreshing is it to deconstruct with your family it like was, that? Like it was really cool. So so when I told my husband, he was the first person I told I don't believe in God. And um I thought, okay, I my mom and I are super close. Like she's my best friend. And I thought, okay, I need to tell her now. I I was excited to tell her. I was a little bit nervous, but not that I thought she was going to get mad at me mm. or be disappointed in me. I was just kind of like, how's she going to take this? Take like, this. And she yeah, was fully like, in, right? Like she was fully in with you as a Christian. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely was the one who attended church. Um, regularly, she she would come, but she wasn't like regularly attending like okay. we were. Right. Um, but she and I would always share sermons on YouTube back and forth, and we would always like she'd be like, you know, send me what you're watching. I want to I want to see. Like but now she tells me it's because she wanted to um, have something to talk about with me <laughs> as far <laughs> as Christianity goes. That's funny. I didn't know that. Mm. Um, so I, I I said to her like I really want to like tell you something and I need to get together with you. And she's like, okay, why don't we go for coffee tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, okay, let's do that. So we met at a coffee shop and um, it was about eight or nine days before Christmas. So it was really weird to deconvert like right before Christmas too. Right. I'll, I'll mention super, that. Super Christian holiday. Super like, weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The reason and, for the season and all. Yeah, totally. <laughs> And um, so we met at a coffee shop and I was doing a lot of like preamble, like I, I tend to do. And yeah. she's like, can you just like get to the, get point? To the point? Like, just <laughs> tell me what, like, what are you trying to say? And I was like, okay, um, I don't believe in God. And she's like, oh, <laughs> oh, she's like, Stace, this is how I felt like pretty much my whole life. And I was like, wait, what? what? <laughs> oh my God. And she's like, that's wild. She's like, I have been trying my whole life to just believe but she's like i'm just terrified of hell like mm. i am so scared of hell like what happens if we go to hell like that was her biggest hang up she apparently 
had really had a hard time believing in God since I was a little kid, but she was just interesting going through the motions and just trying so hard to just like get it to click, get it to work. But she had more of a belief and fear of hell than anything else. And okay. even still, she'll kind of get this grip of like, wait, oh my God. What happens what if, if there's hell? What like... if we're going to go to hell? Yeah. So when I told her that it was like this big dam opened up and we were able to just like be like, wait, what? Like <laughs> I said to her, I'm like, is this why like you would always sit during praise and worship? And she's like, yes. Uh, like, is this why you were always like, you didn't want to go to church on such? She's like, yes. And I'm like, is this why you were to, like come up with excuses? And but she presented really well mm-hmm. as a Christian. Right. She fooled me and we're the I'm the closest person in her life. Right. Um, so she really, really, really like she was trying hard to yeah. like walk this walk. Um, and yeah, as soon as I told her, she's just like, Yeah, no, I have not believed for a long time. I've just really been trying to, to force to this. toe the line, yeah. To toe the line. Yeah, yeah. And so, I think that's probably what like a lot of people do so. because there's a I mean, there's a huge amount of anxiety and fear. You know, if you've been doing living this way your whole life and your social circles and all that stuff are all tied up in that belief system like and then you're like oh well is this all is everything gonna fall apart <laughs> you know when i start yeah. telling people i don't believe in god anymore and sometimes it does you know like that's a very yeah. real and valid fear one thing she said was she's like she goes i would come and kind of like test to see how strong of a belief you had she's like because <laughs> she goes i because she wanted to kind of tell me at certain times but mm-hmm. she's like I, she goes don't you remember me coming and being like so when you pray like do you really believe <laughs> that your prayers will be answered or that God hears them. And I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. And mm. she's like, oh, okay. She was really hoping you would say, well, not really. Yeah. Like looking for a little crack in the armor. Exactly. Like- and there were times where she would say like, I don't really think I'm going to go to heaven. And I'd be like, oh my God, yes, you are. Like, <laughs> And I always had a full like belief that I would. I had no hesitation. And she was like, yeah, no. And I'm like, you're going to be there. What are you talking about? Like, I had no idea that she was struggling. You're muted. Oh, yeah. And you just assumed <laughs> yeah. that she did too. Like, yeah, I was I was trying to reassure her like, no, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, yes, you're going to be there. So um, so then when we when I revealed this to her and then we were honestly talking, I was just like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, <laughs> I did, and she's and she also was like, if this is true, and I am, and like her be like, if she was wrong, she didn't want to damage my faith and right. pull me out of it just because of her disbelief. Right, so, right, yeah. Which just shows you how deep that indoctrination is, you know. Like, even though she, if she thought it wasn't true, she was like, well, I'll let her believe it, <laughs> like just in case it is. Like, yeah, that's what shows you how fear based that kind of belief exactly. system is. Like, it's just rooted in fear. Like, exactly. Exactly. And there was even a time where I really, um, like in 2019, I had a moment, I, I call, I was just talking to my husband about it last night, but I had this like real moment of clarity where I I was sitting all alone, kids were at school, we had a new baby, he was asleep, my husband was at work. And I was just really thinking about it, like honestly, like the whole Christian belief and, and the Bible and everything I was supposed to believe. And I was just thinking, this just sounds ridiculous. Like if I wasn't raised in this, I really right. don't think I would believe this. And I ended up thinking about like, okay, but our kids are in a Christian school. All their friends are involved in that school. Like if I was to stop 
believing and say this, I, I wouldn't want them to go there anymore. I would, it would disrupt their lives. Like I was just going through like right. how it would change all everything. the ramifications. Yeah. yeah. And it, I was saying to my husband, I'm like, it's like kind of that sunk cost fallacy where mm -hmm. you've invested so much. It's like, okay, well now what? It's like, right. I'd have to almost start all over again. Right. Which is terrifying on some level, like especially yeah. depending on the age of your kids and like how involved they are and what, you know, where they are in their own like faith journey too. You're like, well, not, I, I'm not making this decision in a vacuum. Like, yeah. That, that kind of leads into like a, a, a pet peeve topic of mine. <laughs> Some of the things that people say to try to like explain away deconstruction and deconversion. Mm -hmm. And like one of the ones that like drives me insane is the like, well, you never were a real Christian one. And so like you had just posted about <laughs> something about this. I'm not sure I screenshot it. Yeah. So I don't have the data when you did it. But you're like, oh. when someone tells me you are never a Christian, uh, never a Christian because I'm an atheist now. And then you list off. <laughs> all the things that you did, like your resume, you know, mm -hmm. of like, here's the ways I know, like that I was truly mm -hmm. a believer. How do you feel about when people say that? What's some of your responses to that? You were never a Christian. Okay. One, it really ticks me off because <laughs> it's like, no, you, like you don't get to say that. I find it kind of offensive because no, I, I was dedicated. It was my entire life. At one point, I probably would have died for my faith. That thought had crossed my mind. I'm, if you grew up in evangelical Christianity, mm -hmm. you were basically told, like, you might get martyred for Jesus. Right. Like, or you should be willing to. Like, you should be willing yeah. to. That's that's what I'm, yeah. Especially, like, I remember when Columbine happened. Like, that was, that was when that thought really was like solidified in my head, yeah. like, okay, I might have to, I might, there might be an a chance where I'll have to be martyred if that ever happened. So, right. and I was willing to do that. Normal people don't have to think about that for. <laughs> right, right. There's, there's very <laughs> few things that a normal person thinks about, like, what would I have to die for? You know? Yeah. Like my children, sure. To protect them. That's an actual real thing. Not you wouldn't mm -hmm. just die because I believe something about them. Like exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um. So it just it bothers me, but it's not like I get all uptight about it. It was just it was more of like proving a point. And then when I did make that post, um, I posted it on Threads as well. A lot of people were like, "Well, those are just things. Like you can't mm. just do things." And I'm like, uh. "Okay." <laughs> Well, then it's, it's like never good enough. Like it's never good enough. And I'm like, okay, obviously I believe the gospel. It wasn't right. just like I was doing these things, but it's like, you know, you'll know them by you you have your your faith, you have to also do do live works. out. Yeah. You have to live it out, right? right. Otherwise, it's like, yeah, sure, I have faith. But then it's, right. if, if you're not walking the walk and talking the talk, it's like, well, how do you know you're an actual Christian? Well, you right. have to you have to demonstrate that by your works. And it's right. not like I was earning my way to heaven. It was just my life would demonstrate the fact that I was living a life for Jesus. So yeah. to say, oh, you were never a real Christian. Well, what's a real Christian? Yeah, it's yeah. so dismissive and condescending. Even in Christianity of people who all claim to be Christians, they're all telling each other that you're not real Christians. Exactly. So what's the big difference? Like, yeah, you know, it's like no kidding. Yeah. Just add me to the list of people that you don't think are Christian. And guess what? I don't give a fuck. None of it's none not of real. you are. <laughs> like it doesn't really matter. I was watching part of the episode you just did with uh I think his name is Durante. Yes, the, your pastor. Oh, did you hear what he said? His response was so great because it was so like, good. oh, you're not a real Christian? Great. <laughs> you know, he's like, I never, I, I'm glad I was a better person than you guys. Yes. And I thought that's perfect for the person 
who never really felt that they were like, yeah. like Susie always says, well, I never really believe this. Like, it sounds like your mom was kind of in the same boat. Like she was yeah. like, yeah, I really wanted to, but mm-hmm. I couldn't. That's just such a great response. Like, I yeah, I'm, I'm better than you. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm glad <laughs> like, so I act- when he said that I was like, Ooh, that's actually way better. I know. Yeah. I was going to say when I went from being a charismatic Christian and be- and joining a reformed church, all my charismatic friends that were Christian, I basically became a non-Christian to them <laughs> at that point. Right. And the reformed people thought that you finally had become a real Christian. Exactly. Yeah. Well, there's 40,000 versions and you yeah. all think you're right. 40,000. Just in Christianity, like denominations, like it's crazy. Like the thing that I love about the the deconstruction or the deconversion community or the whatever the atheist community, whatever you want to call it, is people like Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or Seventh Day Adventists. Back then, I would have been like, "Oh no, like you're not a Christian." Like right now, no, we all have the same similar experiences. We've all come to the same conclusions. And we're all friends now. Yeah. I have um, two friends that are in the community. One's uh, a Jehovah XJW, one's an ex-Mormon, and there's me an ex ex That's fantastic. And yeah. it's like, that never would have happened if we were all like- No, no. To- it's like, it's funny <laughs> how you have more unity after than you ever could have achieved when you were supposed to be, you know, on the right path. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, so that's funny. Like I continue to kind of talk about like yeah. deconversion. Like there's always kind of like two sides to the deconversion story and, and mm-hmm. everybody's got kind of a different path and there's usually like some loss and then there's like always some gain. Like what mm-hmm. are some of the things that you felt like you lost mm-hmm. when you walked away? And then what are some of the things you felt that like you've gained or feel that you've gained? I feel like I lost being judgmental. <laughs> well, that's a good loss. Like, yeah, that's like a positive I'm, loss. I'm definitely happy about that. I feel like I've, it's been a lot of positive things. Okay, as far as loss that might have might seem like, oh man, that sucks, yeah. but it yeah. actually wasn't. Um, we got <laughs> we got excommunicated from the Reformed Church we were in. So classic but, love of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so and and like friends that were a part of it, which is fine. Like I'm I'm actually like totally okay with that because yeah. what I've gained since leaving Christianity has been way better. Um, the community that I've found and have been welcomed by, um, I've never felt more accepted in my yeah. entire life. And the fact that I now feel like I have friends all over the place. Um, I mean, it's mostly from online and, right. and YouTube, but it's so incredible, this community. So I don't, I can't even really count it as a loss, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe it felt painful when you were getting out at some point. I feel like some people have a more painful exit than yeah. others. Yeah. But, and there's things that you, you seem to lose, but then you realize, oh, they're not really losses. Yeah. Unless you really lost some really good friends or your family, like basically you've had to shut them out or, you know, so like, but the gains seem to far outweigh those things because the weight of stuff that like lifts off your brain. Oh, totally. That like outweighs everything because you like just see things through such a different lens. Like, yeah. Yeah. And another gain that was really huge is there was certain members in our family that we got to reconnect with because religion actually put a huge divide in that oh, interesting. Uh, years ago. So um, with 
us being the super religious ones, mm-hmm. certain family members were just like, no, I can't really deal with that, which was completely fair. I understand. And so since then, um, those bridges have been repaired and it's just, that's been the biggest gain, I think, is well, just cool. having those relationships restored. Right. It seems like a lot of Christians come from a family that is like a lot of Christians. And so mm-hmm. then when they leave, they feel like they're the outsider. And that's kind of how I feel. Cause like my whole right. family is all still Christian, except for I've got one atheist aunt and uncle that I'm like BFS with now. And that's, they're like, they're, they're awesome. Like, yes. Yeah. That's my aunt and uncle. <laughs> so what are, what's some advice that you would have for people in general who are just like questioning their beliefs, like resources that you have found to be helpful? Well, I would say, I know it's, it can be quite scary, especially if you're in the beginning and you're questioning. I know that for me, um, I felt like, especially early on, I felt like I was sinning. I felt like, oh, if, if I'm wrong, this is this is really bad. Yeah. And there was a couple times where I actually felt like quite nauseous, like an actual physical response in my stomach where I felt like I was going to throw up if I continued looking on Reddit on like the ex-Christian boards. Right, right. <laughs> And then I thought, you know, I shouldn't I shouldn't have a physical response to something that's true. I shouldn't have a or a nauseation like I'm doing something this bad if this is true. So, I feel like if you can just trust your gut and and know that you know yourself best and um if if something's true, it won't be afraid of the of you finding out the answers. So, right. um push through that. <laughs> yeah. And um the other thing is I mean, if you want to go to someone who you spiritually look up to, but I all, I I really think if you are going to go to like your pastor, they're just going to push circle you right back to what <laughs> you've always been told. So, right. I would sort of avoid that path. Um I think if you if you do want resources, um, recovering from religion is an amazing resource. They're not gonna they're not gonna steer you to a completely deconverted mm-hmm. route. They're gonna just help you with those questions that you're struggling with. So recovering from religion is a, an amazing, amazing resource. Um, if you want to just watch podcasts or listen to podcasts, The Thinking Atheist is amazing. Seth Andrews. Yeah. And if you want to call in and talk to uh, <laughs> test your your theories, then I recommend calling the line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Matt Dillahunty. Um, yeah. I, I love when people call into that show and they think they're going to like come off like with such wisdom and then <laughs> Matt just destroys yeah. them. But if you're if you are honest and you answer the questions honestly and you're genuine, you're be honest and right. answer directly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They want to help too. If you can really start to examine like why you believe things are true, mm-hmm. which is something that that show really focuses on, like here's why yeah. this is true. Like and street yeah. epistemology is the same way. Watching yeah, those I was gonna videos. say street epistemology with um, Anthony Magnabosco. That's another yeah, so good, really great channel. So yeah. there's there's a lot of great resources. There really is. Um, so you can't even collate them all because there's so much there's out so- there. Like oh, also Mindshift. Um, Brandon from Mindshift. He's mm. another fantastic. Uh, channel on YouTube. There's just so many. There's so many. Um, Apologia is really good. <laughs> I was going to say, like, Apology, he's great. That's um, really good if you want like explanations of like why stuff in the Bible just isn't true. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, tell people where they can find you on the, the interwebs and elsewhere yeah. and all that good stuff. 
So my mom and I do have a podcast on YouTube. You can go to the Stacy's Mom podcast and it's Stacy with an IE. Um that's our channel. And I also um, host on Tuesdays, if you go to Skeptic Haven on YouTube, I co-host with my really good friend, David McDonald from Deep Drinks Podcast. Um, we co-host the show Secular Soapbox on Tuesdays. And oh, nice. Okay. the last couple of shows we've done, we've talked to like Dr. Kip Davis and Dr. Jennifer Bird, Derek. Lambert, we just we kind of dive into more of like the scholarly scholarly okay. type discussions. Oh, that's so cool. yeah, sometimes we'll do like deconversion type things, but we tend to do a little bit of like a deeper uh into like biblical scholarship type. Oh, that's stuff. cool. That's so, very interesting. David's great to have with that because he's he's good with that. Yeah, kind that's of stuff. cool. And I didn't know you I learned that. a lot. You have Instagram and X and it's all just look for apostasy with Stacy A-P-O-S-T-A-C-I-E. Yeah. You'll find her on there. <laughs> thanks for being here. And uh, we'll uh, hopefully talk to you again soon sometime. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Flawed Theology Podcast. We are glad to be back for season three, and we hope that you'll enjoy the new segments. Join us on our Facebook group, which is called Dangerous Questions. And follow us on the various social media platforms. Um, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on X, which is X. Twitter. <laughs> I, I don't. I I just feel weird even calling it X, which is just bizarre. I know it's just a letter. Yeah, it's just strange. You can also listen to the podcast on YouTube and also all the other major plot podcast major podcast platforms i do that all the time you did that before as a podcast yeah. i feel like maybe we should coin that term and make it real and see if we can get it to catch on the flawed theology podcast podcast where you because we just plod we just through plod it. through it even though we don't know what the fuck we're doing data nuggets whatever <laughs> <laughs> what did you make a chicken noise i was gonna go into a lead guitar solo there like oh i thought you were like <laughs> or we could do a chicken sound. I mean, uh -huh. that that makes sense with data. Data I guess. nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we might not need to come up with a jingle. We're just gonna like we sing. We just did. The, yeah, we're just gonna sing the jingle of like bad sounds that we know how to make. So. Join our Facebook group, Dangerous Questions, for bonus content about cats and how they relate to faith and morality.